This is ESG Decoded, the podcast powered by Climco to provide relevant, actionable updates related to business innovation and sustainability. Join Caitlin Allen and Amanda Shea of Climco for thoughtful, nuanced conversations with industry leaders that explore the complexities, the risks, and the opportunities connected to all things ESG. I'm Yvonne Harris, a consultant and a co-host, and I will be collaborating with Caitlin and Amanda for the discussions that we will present on this podcast. Put simply, ESG is everything that's not on your balance sheet. This leaves room for misunderstanding, oversimplification, and the tendency towards one-size-fits-all perspectives. None of that will happen on this podcast. Enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. This is Yvonne Harris, and welcome to this episode of ESG Decoded. Today, we are going to spend time on the S in ESG as we discuss people elements that impact organizations. So just to ground us, this is everything from employee relations, organizational health, people culture, diversity, equity, inclusion, DE&I, and community outreach. Our primary focus for this conversation is more of an internal reflection as we talk about organizations leading high-performing teams in the never normal. And I'm excited to have with me today, Erin Urban. She's a certified executive leadership coach who partners with high-achieving leaders and teams to elevate their impact and influence without sacrificing their well-being, such an important point. Erin is an international speaker, and a self-proclaimed neuroscience nerd. And when I picked up on that and her bio, it made me think of The Big Bang Theory, which is one of my favorite shows. She's also an author of a best-selling book, which hopefully you'll go and grab after this. It's entitled Elevate Your Career, More Impact, More Income. Erin is also a Forbes Coaches Council member, certified in leadership psychology, and a recovering perfectionist with over a decade in mentoring and coaching successful professional transformations through one-on-one and group coaching workshops. Erin, a lot to say there, but so glad that you're with us today. Thank you for your time. It's a pleasure to be here, Yvonne. I mean, I can't think of a better person to spend my time with this morning talking about the S and ESG. I know, and I'm glad you're here to share some of your insights with our listeners. Let's talk for a moment about how we know each other. We met each other right before the pandemic. I don't know if you remember. Yes, that's right. We met each other at a panel event Mm -hmm. to help professionals elevate their presence and their trajectory in their careers and professional lives. And it was very rewarding. I remember distinctly because you were so thoughtful and still are very thoughtful in your responses. And it was a much more multidimensional response than some of the other panelists. And I was like, this is a person I need to know. (laughs) Well, and I felt the same about you and the advice that you provided. And Erin, at that point, who knew what we were in terms of the pandemic and just the need for your services as people were needing to be coached through this very difficult season. And I know that you've been tapped into by so many organizations who are just trying to figure out how do we not just survive during the season, but how do we thrive and how do we still continue to lead high performing teams? 
So as we transition, Erin, now from pandemic to pandemic recovery, give us a big picture perspective. What does this mean for the companies and organizations that you're interfacing with? Very good question. And and we might be a little premature on the pandemic recovery, although I would love to say that unfortunately we're still seeing the impacts. And, And we're also we're in unprecedented times. I'm not just saying that because it's a cool, catchy title. We truly are understanding the amount of influx of constant and compounding change makes it very difficult for leaders and teams to thrive because we have so much that's being thrown at us at this given time. Not only do we have the pandemic, we have disaster fatigue, morale issues, retention issues, a talent development issue. I mean, we have so much in addition to the daily demands. Then in our home life, we have a lot of changes too in how we live, work, interact. Quite some time ago, I, I looked at this information from a scientist, and he's a brilliant man, and he, he extrapolated that right now, in fact, now this is many years ago, but right now we would be in this constant compounding change cycle where we're seeing just the rate of change exponentially increasing. And I feel, I, I think everybody will agree that you feel a little bit more compressed than usual. So what does this mean moving forward? Well, it means we cannot just lean on what we've always done. Right. Well, and to hear you describe the change cycle, it just makes me reflect, Erin, I mean, you hear all the time, you know, the only thing constant is change. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think the rate of change has really impacted a lot of people on a personal level, you know, in terms of their comfort, their personal relationship agreement with change. And then that's um, extrapolated throughout the organization or throughout a team. And for whatever reason, what popped in my head too was just also news cycles, you know, and just how quick news cycles are happening nowadays. And it's just like, there's, I think there's just this missing moment that a lot of people are experiencing of just what's my current state or what's my constant state or what's the constant state of my team, because it feels like everything just moves from moment to moment, from day to day. And as a team leader, I can't even do an assessment of current state because what I thought it was just eight hours ago, it could be very different today. You're absolutely right. You're, you have definitely hit on something tremendous here because I think it was McKinsey and Company was, did a fairly recent study and they extrapolated that we're experiencing 300 times the rate of change at 3,000 times the impact. And when you think about that, we really step back and think about it. It's not that I want to beat a drum here or, or, so, or reiterate just something you already know. The point of this is, number one, understanding that Yes, change is on the, the only constant. However, the rate of change is exponential. And our human brains are not built to handle it. It's just not. We're naturally evolved as being change averse. <laughs> and uncertainty is not our friend. So know that in a strong change cycle, it takes literally more energy to show up 100%. Knowing that going into this and giving not only yourself some space and grace, but also giving your teams and those around you some space and grace as well, because you may have noticed the bandwidth to adopt and accept new things has been constricted for a lot of people. Absolutely. And if we go back in time, Aaron, to March of 2020, 
we didn't know what we were entering, right? As business leaders, as HR leaders, as you know, just people going into this pandemic. And I think in the early stages, many of us were just like, oh, it's not going to last too long. How do we just keep everything kind of moving? And then it transitioned to how do we just make sure that we're still surviving? But one of the things that I know you've experienced in your business and in serving your clients is that there were many organizations that didn't have the choice just to survive. They still had to perform and they had to perform at high levels, both at an organizational level, at functional levels, at department levels, and then to this topic today at team levels. So, What conversations did you have with your clients based on performance expectations and needing to thrive in this pandemic environment? That's also a great question because you're you're spot on with that as well. There was a point where the the conversation shifted. I will admit that I'm guilty of thinking that in in 2020, March of 2020, I was like, oh, it'll be done by June. No. That was a pipe dream. Uh, so clearly that conversation did need to shift from, okay, what can we do in the, in the interim to now how can we get through this with an, a big question mark for the future? And there was a lot of talk around well-being, um, empathy, elevating EI and EQ for leaders and teams and, and being creating a space to have conversations. So moving forward from that point till now and into the foreseeable future, what I've definitely seen is uptick in leaders needing to develop a collaborative space where it is safe to have candid and open conversations. That which we used to just skirt by or ignore or not talk about the elephant in the room now needs to be talked about. And it's, it's not because it did not used to need to be talked about. It's just now because we're in such a strong change cycle, the impact of ignoring something can be potentially disastrous. So it's important for leaders to shift from, a, okay, let's just get, get things done to, okay, now, although we knew this before, we kind of ignored the people element, talent development element, that now has, has to be a part of our strategy. It's not an option. And Erin, I know this is a really popular topic that you are sharing with your clients, you're sharing with workshop groups, doing panel discussions around. And just to remind our listeners, it's leading high-performing teams in never normal. So you've given us a little bit of a preview to that, but Erin, I just want to make sure that I'm clearly connected to the concept of never normal and what you mean by that. Yeah, so never normal is literally that. You hear a lot of, oh, the new normal, quote unquote, future work. And we are not seeing normal yet. And we may not see that for quite some time. And again, there was that question mark in the future. This is not to be all doom and gloom, however, it could, it, there's so much positive change has happened. I mean, just look at the upgrowth and uptick of DEI. I mean, the diversity inclusion, I mean, it's just, those things are beautiful and it's absolutely wonderful to see the changes that we have had and just imagine, you know, we talked about Zoom fatigue. Well, just imagine if we didn't have Zoom, right? So there, 
to look at this positively, while there is a never normal, it's to help people understand that not to get too complacent, also to set expectations appropriately for what we're dealing with right now. And it's interesting because I just I did a podcast talking about leadership well-being. And a part of peak team performance is obviously on leaders. Now, just imagine all of this I shared earlier and then leaders having to drive this as well as the business and all their daily responsibilities. It's, it's, it's almost too much. And what I am seeing is leaders aren't necessarily taking the time for themselves and they're trying to pour from an empty cup, which as we know, that does not work. So when I say the never normal is to help elevate awareness around the fact that we're dealing with unprecedented times and normal hasn't happened yet. We're in strong change cycle. We are the authors of what the quote unquote future of work will look like right now. That gives me chills just to think about it. And I feel though, Erin, that the term normal is still showing up right now. It's almost like people are just rushing to get there. They just need something better than these past 24, 28 months that we've experienced as a global society. But I, I'd love to hear you say that we're the authors of this. And I just wish there wasn't this rush to write that book overnight and being more intentional around what normal could look like and how that could be such a better reality for every segment of the workforce population. But I know as I'm talking through this with you, it's probably conversations you've had um, many times before, but I just feel like we're in rush and go mode and we're not creating what could be a much better solution than what we had. You are right. And part of that is because people are tired. Mm -hmm. They're tired. They want normalcy and, and it's it's a natural inclination for the human condition we're we're simply not built to handle the amount of change that we're experiencing so for people to have this this yearning for some sort of stability is not uncommon it is it's perfectly understandable and yet, I encourage people to consider that in order to speed up, you need to slow down first. So as you are talking to organizations, Erin, specifically with the leaders in those organizations, and you're giving them this advice, what are you coaching them on as you're talking through the evolution of their current leadership acumen, how they lead today? has to look different than how they lead tomorrow and the next day and in future state. So what advice are you giving leaders? That's it's very interesting because leaders are absolutely tapped at this moment. So my clients, by and large, were focusing quite a bit on well-being because the fact of the matter is you as a leader your impact and your actions, behaviors, and your decisions are felt much more deeply across the organization. And it should you allow yourself to continue to ignore your own well-being, and no, that does not mean you have to have this exponential yoga practice or spend weeks at a time in a forest um, practicing some sort of pose or meditating. That, that's not necessary to have a well-being practice, by the way. <laughs> it's actually quite straightforward. <laughs> 
just something as simple as taking 10 minute breaks five times a day is a well-being practice. So let's let's step away from being complex about it. But that's the first step. Um, because if you, the leader, cannot show up 100% and, and own your own executive presence, how in the world can you lead? Because everybody's looking to you to set the tone and establish the behavioral norms for the team and also create the space that's safe, as I mentioned earlier, to have those candid conversations, to collaborate, to share what's on people's minds, because in order to get through a strong change cycle, people need that safe space. So the other things that we're seeing to elevate leadership acumen that's absolutely non-negotiable beyond the well-being portion, which is non-negotiable moving forward, is also understanding diverse work styles and incorporating that as a part of our environmental understanding. And does that connect to Aaron with hybrid working conditions now and managing teams that may not sit together in the same conference room or the same office every day? And I know many organizations are coming out with some types of transitions and then there are others still that are just saying, we're gonna stay on Zoom or we're gonna stay on Teams. But how are you coaching leaders that are now trying to coach across the virtual expanse? Right, it's a completely different skill set, and for some people, it's very uncomfortable. And understanding in diverse, diverse work styles helps tremendously to get a set point from which you can have a real conversation from wherever that person is at. Also, another thing what we're seeing is more meetings than normal because we need to be so intentional about those touch points versus when we're in the office, um, you know, in, in person, if you will, that happened more organically. Now that does not happen organically. It has to be scheduled, it has to be on a calendar, it has to be a time. So creating an environmental uh, space, if you will, where there can be some of that organic element, but also allowing the intentional touch points to not quite be so formal. Does that make sense? It does. And I think it's just, people are just in overload mode, right? So I hear you say more meetings and Erin, I know some people are going to be listening and saying, I just don't know how I can fit one more meeting um, right. or how I can actually get my work done outside of all of the meetings that are taking up most of my day. So does that tie to maybe this concept of how do you avoid burnout through well-being and still managing all of these meetings that are popping up on your schedule? Right. And knowing, too, what meetings do you absolutely have to be in and when do you need to be there? So, hey, folks, we live in a high technology era. We do not have to show up at a meeting at the you know, beginning hour if we're not going to talk or have anything relevant happen to us until 30 minutes in. There's such a thing called instant messaging use it. Hey, Sam, Joy, can you show up at such and such meeting? Here's the link. We're getting ready to talk about X. That way, Sam and Joy aren't spending an hour in a meeting that's not value add. And no, you cannot multitask. You cannot be present in a meeting and work on a spreadsheet and answer your emails. Not well, not successfully. But leveraging less big meetings, more one-on-one touch points, and make them intentional and brief. If it doesn't require a group decision, don't have a Zoom meeting and pick up the stinking phone. <laughs> Stop having so many Zoom meetings. It's okay to leverage the other technology touch points that we have. Not everything else needs to be recorded and not, not everybody has to see everyone's face. Now there is a time and place for that. But knowing that we have diverse work styles where some of those work styles will be absolutely exponentially drained 
over X amount of Zoom face-to-face meetings. That it erodes their productivity at an astronomical rate. So knowing that we have these different diverse work styles and setting up a, a hybrid, remote combination environment that allows for more flexibility and sets also expectations around not necessarily having to have everything be on Zoom, right? It's, it's, there's other options. I'm smiling, Erin, because you mentioned um, the phone and <laughs> whatever reason, the phone has just been pushed aside. Um, but it's amazing what you can get done in a five to seven minute phone call Um, That doesn't require you to set up a Teams link or a Zoom link, and you can probably get to the intended outcome in a very brief conversation. But for whatever reason, it's just not on top of everyone's list of how to communicate right now. It's very funny because prior to the pandemic, all of my international and across the country coaching sessions were had by phone. Very few executives wanted to show up on a Google or a Zoom or a Skype or what have you. Most it was phone conversations if it wasn't in person. And so does the pandemic happen. People got comfortable with Zoom. Is now, oh, can we have a Zoom meeting? It's like, okay. <laughs> My, how things have changed. My goodness, yes. We were perfectly fine before. And just know that we have the tools available to us and ways to touch point with people, get, get, get resolutions accomplished and it doesn't all have to be in a Zoom meeting. I know that many um, HR leaders, um, talent development leaders are not only having to focus on how do we keep the morale high of our current team leaders, our current organization leaders, but what do we do to skill up new leaders, especially you know, during this time, during this season? So what advice are you giving organizations in terms of succession planning or identification of new leaders? Or even, Erin, I mean, give us some of the, your thoughts that you have. What are the skills that are required of new leaders today that maybe weren't required of those who entered leadership roles five years ago, 10 years ago? Talk to us about that. Right, right. So the skills we're seeing now more today is around collaborative leadership. Um, Gone are the days that we can do this top-down leadership hierarchical model, which quite honestly did come out of caveman era and has not changed since medieval times. I'm just being honest. So we do need to step away from that and understand that the upcoming generation, particularly Gen Y, Gen Z, that does not work for them. Um, More collaborative style is required. And being able to have that conversation and step into your leadership presence in a different way is very important. Um, And it'll probably take quite some time to unpack that fully, but you get the gist. It's it's a different way of engaging with your team. And it does not mean that you're not the leader and they are the team. However, it does mean it's more collaborative approach versus you do this and because I told you. That never really worked anyway, to be honest. (laughs) We just put up with it, (laughs) but the younger generations will not. And you're starting to see that now with obviously the great resignation. People are redefining what they will accept in the workplace and what they will not. And uh, moving forward, EI or EQ, emotional intelligence is a non-negotiable as well. As a leader, being able to leverage that and understand what emotions are, what data those emotions are giving you and what to do with it is very important. Um, Becoming authentic 
not just a buzzword. And a lot of people struggle with what the heck is authentic anyway. Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, that doesn't mean sharing all your dirty laundry and the workplace because that's authentic. What it does mean is showing up as your true genuine self and not trying to be, be someone you're not, if you will. And hard on the heels of that uh, for those people that I coach, whether it be leaders or teams, again, truly understanding different work styles. How do people communicate? What's their style? What's their stressors? What's their stress responses? How do they collaborate versus other people? How do they listen and infer information? That, that complex dynamic is important for leaders to understand and lead their teams effectively. If that's not there, it's very difficult to lead them because you're not speaking their language. So I want to talk about the construct of the teams you touched on a moment, what I'll refer to as the hierarchy. Erin, you probably know that we went through a period of time where there was the buzzword around self-directed work teams, which were very egalitarian, very democratic, for lack of a better term right now. But is that what you're seeing as still, you know, the way that teams are going? Or are you talking about true there is hierarchy in the team. We just have to skill up our leaders. We're identifying, you know, developing leaders, but it's not this flat, we're all making or voting on decisions type of team. Right. I feel like that type of team, the more democratic style has its place. It really depends on the organization, what needs to be accomplished. And for some work styles, to be fair, it really doesn't sit well with them and they do need more of of an outline to lean into and to be fair most human beings do they need some sort of structure to lean into because if the structure is there to support them they don't have to focus so much energy on what is my place in in the in the hierarchy because that's natural so to go back quite a bit in our evolutionary environment we evolved as social creatures and as social creatures we we do understand and appreciate a certain sort of social structure. But if we don't know what that social structure is, it creates a sense of stress. So it's important to have clear expectations. And if you are having a more democratic team style, as long as expectations are set and people have roles, it will work much more fluidly. If not, then you will see chaos, um, could be competition and a whole lot of unhealthy aspects of that experience. You also mentioned authenticity, and that's the word that often too shows up in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion, DE&I. So let's spend a moment there and connecting to a point that you made earlier as well about being able to lead diverse teams. You know, what's the advice, what's the guidance that you're giving organizations and leaders, not only on how they show up in a more authentic way, but how do they lead across dimensions of diversity, Um, whether they're visible dimensions or those that we can't see, what are some of the trends that are showing up in effective leadership for that outreach? Well, number one, education, education of self and understanding what bias is and what it means is very important. Um, I encourage people to step away from the newsreel of <laughs> the summarizations of DE&I and actually understand what bias is and how it works. 
and, and how human beings have developed this and why. And then by through that awareness and in doing some exercises that sometimes I'll do with my leaders to help them uncover any hidden biases or false labels that's not helping them, um, getting a real firm self-awareness and through that self-awareness also, again, creating this space in your team environment to where you can have candid conversations and be curious in a non-judgmental and open way. I'm also seeing a trend very strongly into help in this space and also others, leaders as coach. So I am certified through Rice University, Adore Institute for New Leaders, and they do quite a bit of coaching leaders within the organizations to help them be leaders as coach. And it's very, very, very helpful, not only for personal development for leaders, but also for their teams and helping create that collaborative environment that's more beneficial and fueling a top team performance. We've talked a lot about leaders and the personalities are the traits of effective leadership is probably better stated. But obviously we, we need to remember, right, that the leaders of these teams are brought together to drive business outcomes. So whether it's outcomes for clients, for customers, or even internal outcomes for the organization. Erin, give us some of your advice on what are the best practices currently or the metrics for measuring effectiveness of teams? And you know, how do we distinguish a high-performing team from one that may need improvement? Well, obviously, as you probably know, it's not just a one and done piece of software that we can implement. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> that would be a huge relief for everybody. Shoo, oh, good. We can just do this and people check the box. But uh, there, it's, a it's a multidimensional approach because when you're talking about high performing teams, it's not just their external outputs. It's also their internal collaboration. Um, what is going on in, in the person. So you're, you're dealing with people and people obviously a little bit more complex than just the outputs, but knowing uh, what does the customer see? What is the outputs of the team? Is it meeting and exceeding expectations? If not, then why doing the discovery? And then also understanding how is that team collaborating? Is anyone falling off the bus? If they are, then why? So doing a little bit more of that research and understanding are there certain types of things like surveys, if companies feel comfortable doing that, or our one-on-one touch points. I encourage, now I know that we've been talking about leaders, but leaders and teams, you know, they go hand in hand, if you will. So it's so important to have the one-on-one touch point with team members, particularly in order to fuel high-performing teams. But so I'll share with you a really quick story about what happens when you don't, particularly in a remote or hybrid work environment. And one of my clients, she is an upward mobile, upwardly mobile professional lady, and she is in a team that's very competitive. And one of the reasons the team is competitive is because their executive leader makes no time for anyone one-on-one. So every single meeting they have as a group, it's like elbows <laughs> virtually trying to get space to basically get dad's attention. That's where it's coming from. They're trying to get their executive's attention and it's very non-constructive. So to avoid that, making time for teams, a one-on-one and understanding people at that level. But there's multiple different ways you can get more data as far as what's actually going on. But it's not, unfortunately, just a 
one and you know just a one-off piece of software we can implement. <laughs> well, I love your suggestions around soliciting feedback from customers, from clients. You know, there's also the internal reflection. You mentioned who fall who fell off the bus, but whether an organization is measuring um, retention or attrition, whichever terminology they use, you know, that's a very important metric at this time. And also to the data points of your performance ratings and, you know, how are the individual team members performing and what does that composite look like under a particular leader? Is there a leader who is maybe investing those times in those one-on-one touch points at a consistent cadence, and you see the difference in terms of individual performance for his or her team. So I think that's really important. And, you know, during this time, Erin, I know it's, it's going to be a very healthy look back, you know, what will history say about this time period and, you know, the evolution of business and how we do business and how we manage organizations, but the data is going to be so important and what companies are choosing to measure now will make a difference five years from now. Yes. And know that people perform to their metrics. So what you measure gets performed to be very aware of what you measure. Keep that in mind when you're developing these programs because people will perform to them. Sometimes that's a great idea, and sometimes that does not necessarily have the impact you thought. (laughs) So be very introspective and thoughtful about these when you do put them in place. Now, as far as what will happen uh, when people look back upon this time, as I mentioned before, we are standing on the threshold of authoring a new future. And as I mentioned in a recent article with Forbes, we determine now, our action behaviors now, determine what that future work will look like. 2020 was a great reflection. People had time to pause whether they wanted to or not. 2021, 2022, great reset slash great resignation. Why? Because when people had time to pause, they finally, maybe for the first time in their entire life, looked around them and said, gosh, this is not what I was expecting. This is not working for me. This does not fit. And right now we're seeing a lot of people trying new things. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. I would encourage everyone to consider, take the time to breathe, look around you, have the conversation, and really think about what is the best path forward because we are the authors of that beautiful, brilliant future that we can create. When you say try new things, And you gave us just some great advice earlier. You mentioned those one-on-one touch points. And I hope that there's someone who's listening that maybe, you know, had that moment of introspection and said, you know what, that's something I could do better. I don't touch point with my team members on an individual basis as much as I should. But in the space of trying new things, Erin, give us one more thing, one more action that any team leader, any business leader could take and see some positive shift in performance results, let's say within the next six months. Mm. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Give us what you get, Erin. (laughs) All right, so what's one new thing? Now, this may not be relevant to everybody because it's not fair to say that everyone has let talent development fall off the wayside. That's not the case in every company. 
But I will have to admit that over the last number of years of economics ups and downs and the cycles that we've gone through, it has been challenging to keep talent development at the forefront of our minds and the rush to do business and the rush to get to what's next and the rush to evolve and meet client and environmental demands. If you want to see a difference in your team in the next 30, 60, 90 days, invest in your talent development program, get to know your people's work styles, understand where they are right now, and work with them to develop their own professional development plan. Because here's the thing, and is one of the top three that I hear from my clients and those people that we've got from a survey results who were leaving companies, one of them, not all of them, one of the uh, challenges they see is they're not being developed. So if you want to see people stay, people perform to the highest level, then let them know you care about their development. And while all of this is so important and spot on, for those who are listening and you are a team member, you are an employee, I hope that you recognize that you still have a stake. You still have an investment in your own career. And now is the time to ask for what you want and what you need, what you identify as your personal strengths and opportunities and give suggestions to your leadership, right, Erin, of, hey, I want to be in this space. (laughs) Hey, I recognize that I have a blind spot or an opportunity for growth here. Can we make an investment here? Can I have some coaching in this space? Is there an online training module? So I just want to call that out too, because, you know, the career journey is a shared journey. You can't do it void of, you know, leadership and effective leadership, but you also can't be a spectator in your own career either and just wait. Absolutely. I encourage everybody to be the entrepreneur of their own career. It's just... How can I put this? Based on the environments by which most young employees have been molded, they're not aware that's necessarily an option sometimes. So giving them a little bit of help in that area is always uh, beneficial. Now, Will, I give you a bonus, bonus round because you asked me for one thing. You can see significant impact in the next 30, 60, 90 days. Here's the second. No matter what level your managers are at, give them access to certified and qualified coaching. Now I sound, I know that sounds self-serving. There's a very good reason for it and quite a bit of scientific research behind it. I've done personal surveys and studies as well on this. And the number one reason why people are leaving companies is poor leadership. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's change that. So. From March 2020 to now, Erin, what do you think has been the greatest lesson that many HR and talent development leaders have learned? Have the conversation early. Yeah, I think we've, we, and and God bless everybody in HR right now. (laughs) It's such a hard time. But I think we we have learned the hard way to have a conversation early, to start to have and, and start to create that environment where it's okay to have a conversation about why someone's not feeling fulfilled or, or what else would they like to do and, and start to have a conversation early. When people feel like they matter and they have impact in an organization, they will stay. 
Are you still a big proponent of state interviews? I feel like as long as that happens before they've turned their, their tendered the resignation. Okay. Of course. <laughs> Some people do it a little bit too late. I feel like exit interviews are, are, are useful data, but perhaps not to retain employees. Mm-hmm. So and then and that's one of the reasons for this power of that one-on-one touch point with leaders and and also coaching and training leaders to have a more in-depth conversation instead of expecting all the HR people to do it. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. For leaders to leverage HR as a resource, as a place for advice and guidance, but not looking to abdicate leadership responsibilities, especially when the tough conversations need to happen. Absolutely. Um, Leaders need to press in more. Well, Erin, this has all been very, very helpful. I'm now understanding more and more about what you mean by the never normal. And I'm excited about the challenge to just arrive to that new normal together whenever we get there, not rushing it, but just really looking forward to a new workplace normal that's more inclusive. And just the experience that Gen Z and next gen could have that just makes workplace and going to work so much more fulfilling than probably generations before. Yes, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it because it is a very, it's a challenging time, yet it is an exciting time. It It truly is exciting time to be alive if we can see that because right now we are more impactful than we can have ever been in our prior years. So leverage that, my friends. Thank you, Erin. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ESG Decoded. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you consume yours and follow ESG Decoded and Climco across social media platforms. Until our next episode, take what you learned today to drive long-term value for your organization by doing good for people and the planet.